Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Manis. Welcome to this uh, live edition of RE Exchange uh, here at Inner City Electronic. Thanks to you all for coming down. Uh, today, got some very special guests. I'm sure we don't need to give them much of an introduction. Everybody knows, uh, or most of the people here should know Orbital. Um, Paul and Phil Hartnell started out in the late 80s, became one of the biggest acts in British dance music. Most of you have probably seen them live. Let's bring them on. Paul and Phil Hartnell, Orbital. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, nice. Huh. Thanks. Okay, so how, how are you doing today? All good? Very yeah, good. very good, actually. First so gig of the year. Where, does that, where did that sort of love of, of sci-fi, and in particular, I guess, the music of, of science fiction, television, and, and, and films sort of first take hold with the two of you? I think growing up in the 70s and being sort of bombarded with the radiophonic workshop music from kids' TV, kids programmes, TV programmes, and things like that, and the kind of, do you remember that? Lost in Space. Lost, Lost in Space, space. Is where it all that was one of the earliest things I remember. Jerry Anderson, all of that stuff, you know. Mm. And there's lots of sci-fi, you know, I suppose because we grew up in the, the sort of immediate aftermath of the space race, so it, everything was kind of space-orientated and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, what else, you know, there were all the sort of six o'clock sci-fi Wednesday films where they'd show all those, you know, like... Um, oh, but, yeah, but I was thinking more films like... Um, the day of the Triffids and the incredible shrinking man and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, it was great. So I was getting to see all these great old black and white classic sci-fis, you know, as a kid. And Doctor Who, of course, you know, more radiophonic workshop madness. Yeah, and, and obviously you, you covered for, a, for the All Together and also in your live show for a long time, the, the theme tune, the Dee Dee Derbyshire, yeah. Ron Grainer theme <coughs> tune. Um, I should ask you therefore at this point, I mean, were, were you proper Doctor Who fans, like what they were called Whovians or just casual <laughs> fans? Whovians. <laughs> well, I th that's an interesting one because I would say I was as a kid because we were, our parents were very sort of strict about family dinner time. You know, you all sit around the table, very, you know, good, good sort of upbringing in that kind of way, except I was allowed to sit and eat my dinner on Saturday night in front of the telly to watch Doctor Who because dinner time was when Doctor Who was on. Bad planning from my parents' point of view, but. I used to go and sit in there and watch it. I think any, it was a free pass for anyone who wanted to, but nobody else really cared. So I used to sit and, you know, watch uh, Tom Baker on my own. Yeah, I was much more lost in space, boy. Star Trek as well. Let's not forget. Oh, Star Trek. Let's not forget. Look at me. Look what I'm wearing. Look at me. All generations. It's not really having an influence, is it? Uh, to be fair, Star Trek has obviously made an appearance, hasn't it, in some of, some of your tracks? I wouldn't well, know what you're talking about. Sample form, so. <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah. Don't know what that was. We'll move on. I mean, this, <laughs> obviously, sci the kind of sci fi thing and film, film soundtracks is, is one theme, obviously, that's been in your work for a long time. Um, but also um, activism as well, certainly to environmentalism. You know, that's yep. you know, going back to really the. The first, the first couple of albums and impact, I guess, as well on the, on the Brown album. Yeah. People remember. Now, you played, didn't you, for uh, as part of the Extinction Rebellion protest? Yeah, yeah. recently, yeah. So yeah. How, how was that? That was great fun. I, uh, we, well, it was quite fun because, well, the last demonstration I was at was uh, the poll tax demonstration, actually, where I was throwing mm. rocks at like, the police riot vans. It was quite funny. And then, next thing you know, 
the next, because there isn't, you know, Greenpeace and all that, you know, Extinction Rebellion came along, and it was like the non-violent sort of thing, because Thatcher put a stop to any sort of uh, political uh, uh, demos that, yeah, that are worthy anyway, and all that, and there they are. They've, like, stopped the whole plate. They've stopped Trafalgar Square for, like, two, two weeks. And it's just, like, brilliant. And then, you know, and then we, and we played a gig there, did a few DJ things to help fundraise for, like, people who got arrested mm. to help legal fees and stuff like that, but they... You know, they're a bit fluffy around the edges, but they're just starting, you know, and it's great. You know, it's like, but, you know, and it was like, I don't know, for us, it was like the, the, the calls that came along that was sort of st picked us up again, or sort of picked me up again. So, well, okay, that's, they're worth sort of going along, joining in with. Saving the planet, a worthy Well, course. yeah, it's a bit a little, you know. you know, a bit a little too late, really, if you ask me, but that's my... I guess you, 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 come from, you came through at a time when there was that tension between uh, rave culture and the police and the Criminal Justice Act as well, which yeah. you, you obviously were quite outspoken about at the time. Just, just to rewind a little bit, to go a bit further back, I'm quite interested in um, finding out about we're in Leeds today. So I'm interested to, to hear about the first time that you came and played live here in Leeds, or the first PA, I guess, you made. So, so when was that? Um, it was a live performance. Um, PA normally implies miming, doesn't it? Yes. Um, like, 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 <laughs> top we of the didn't pops. do, yeah. yeah. Top of the Pops was, was, was a mime. Yeah, that yeah. was, well, everybody mimes on yeah. Top of the Pops. That's, you know... Yeah, I wasn't... I've never been comfortable mime? about that. But, um, no, Leeds, we came, it was one of our earliest... Um, Gigs. We did a little mini tour. Warehouse. We, warehouse. Uh, yeah. With Sasha. With Sasha. Sasha yeah, the and warehouse. Uh, uh, I mean, it was brilliant it? fun. You know, to, it was 1990. We stayed in Sasha's mum's house, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. We did. Yeah, that's why we Sasha's mum's house. Yeah, all, like all of in one room, and it was, so we it was were at all, David Holmes' house. We were all, no, that we did do that at David Holmes' house as well, but. We I don't know if it was Sasha's mum's house. It was someone's house in the spare room. We no, were all just laid out on Sparrow. the floor. Sparrow, was it? Oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. <laughs> it might have been Sparrow's mum's yeah. house. But, um, like all rolling in at three yeah, o'clock in was, the morning. That's what it was like, though. Back then, it was the whole of the dance music scene, certainly in the UK, was run by happy evangelical amateurs. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Nobody, it wasn't really about... Nobody was thinking about making money. The good people, any of the people you kind of met, like, you know, people like... Sasha and their, their club, it was all about, look, we've got this place, we can play house music at people and everyone's coming, isn't it brilliant? And come and play live. And, yeah, of course. And, you know, that was great. We kind of ended up hooking up with loads of different people yeah. around the country, didn't we? Like going yeah. to Belfast to meet David Holmes and things like that. And everyone had this same kind of enthusiasm and come on, look, look what's happening. And was really trying to create something. It was these little puddles of this kind of thing that would turn into rave sort of just growing out of, out of what was, you know, a nightclub culture before that was pretty much, you know, sort of bad pop disco music and get beaten up at the end, you know. And sticky carpets. Sticky carpets. Well, to be fair, raves had sticky carpets. Don't, <laughs> we just don't, don't pretend don't anyway, anything yeah, else, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, you know, it was, all of a sudden, it was a unification of people being friendly to each other and boys and girls talking to each other and it not being, there not being this kind of tension. That used to go on in the, the you know, nightclubs yeah, used to be frightening places before. Because before of that. ecstasy, right? Yeah, yeah. Ecstasy, and, yeah. And dance music, I say. Yeah, ecstasy you know. dance. Let's yeah, not yeah. just blame the drugs. Yeah, but it's not blaming it. It's like a good thing that it came along, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it did, it did quell the, the macho. Yeah. The macho. Absolutely. Uh, 
So we sort of violence, the meta violence. Yeah, but it's interesting that when you talk about, you know, Thatcher did have, you say the, the tension between ravers and the police. I mean, the police just do what they're told, really. And she spent huge amounts of money uh, getting metropolitan police coming in and like stopping little squat parties and stuff like this. It's like, what is the matter with them? You know, I, mean, I can only think that she didn't have a cut of the uh, ecstasy market or something like that. She, do you know what I'm saying? Because you've got alcohol wrapped up and t tobacco. You know, and everything well, else, if you think about there, it, really. There were certainly a few promoters, weren't there, who were, who were quite Thatcherite and had, who had come from sort of more of a, a the background where they'd kind of worked in the city and things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah there were those big kind of raves, weren't they? Um, yeah, whatever. Like energy you, and sunrise that were very yeah, because you corporate could, feeling. Very but you could tell, of, as soon as we walked in, you could tell yeah. whether, there was a, whether there was somebody that did it because it was the love of music. Also, yeah, like James Barton. Yeah, so like, yeah, like, look at him, look at him, he did it for the love of it. Tiny little bass He made us play for time for about like, half an hour, wasn't you it? Know, so there was no, nobody in his club, play game, but he play wanted game, play to do game. it, there was nobody there. We played the, our set, someone else DJed, then he said, oh, go on, do chime for us again, will you? At the end of the yeah, right. And again, so, you know, just and again. Him and his mates, you know, and he, he, he kind of said, oh, I've got this vision of taking over this big warehouse. He showed me this room upstairs, and I want to do a big club in here, and I thought, yeah, good luck, mate, you know, looking at downstairs, but Jesus, look what happened. Yeah. So what was the first, your first, both of you, your first experience of kind of, well, a rave, I guess, or a, a party during the kind of Acid House era? Because you, you grew up in Seven Oaks, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, it was local stuff, actually, which was good, because that was the DIY ethic, though. That's the fun aspect about the whole kind of rave thing, is people did think, have you heard this music? That was the first thing, hearing the music and thinking, oh, that's good. And then, where, where'd you go and hear that? Well, you don't. And then, sort of, the people... You know, people used to do parties in Seven Oaks and sort of Tunbridge. Yeah. There was a big culture of um, sort of doing squat parties and in the woods parties and things like that. And so the guys that were DJing at those things, you know, they were obviously kind of alternative DJs. They weren't playing in the sort of horrible mecca nightclubs. So they were into house music and rare groove, and it just went from kind of public enemies through house into acid house. And that's the sort of things that that were going on. I mean, the Grasshopper was, uh, you know, I think it was called Roadblock, the club there, yeah. went from a kind of rare groove club on the border of Kent and Surrey into a full-on acid house thing on a Thursday night. Really cheap, like £2 to get in. Free I, if you go in before 10. I you know, and it was like, it was, it was brilliant. But these, these things were just springing up on their own. I used to go to warehouse parties and it was before house. They used to be playing... Um, like electro and hip hop, and you know, proper scratches and all this sort of stuff. Sort of rare groove, rare. that kind of thing. But yeah, and all that. But it was a lot of electro and hip hop, really, to be honest. It, uh, yeah, well, I suppose, and yeah, there was actually rare groove, and Scar and, and up and down uh, East London around there. And um, then that sort of, then there was the Mutoid Waste Parties, which they were fantastic. Yeah, they were Artisan lot. I mean, they've turned into what they call now Arcadia lot. That's all the oh, kids nice. or the sons or children of the Mutoid Waste, they're an artisan, they squatted this big, huge warehouse at the back of King's Cross. I mean, it's probably a hotel now or something like that, which I think pretty much is. But you'd go through a little door, Fiverr, you'd get in and you'd go over this rickety thing and then they'd have like this, it'd be amazing, it'd be like this uh, weeping willow from, like, you know when you shave a piece of wood or metal and it goes all curls up? They'd be like this weeping willow made out of metal and all like this, they'd, had, they'd have a dumper truck like changed into a woolly mammoth. It's all Mad Max shit. <laughs> and they'd have like punk band over in the corner and people firing juggling, you know, and all this. It was like, what? like a scene in the movies, you know, really, really good. And then in the corner, they'd have a little room, big smiley face, and we just saw it, it was like, like flashing lights, you go in there and it's like, you're off. And then in there, Clink Street, didn't they, down in uh, 
Yeah. Who did Clink Street? Clink Street was, was amazing. Park, I remember yeah. we Clink. went there one, one time. Clink Street, First yeah. time I'd ever been it's to first a London kind of it's grave. Right and there were all these kind of real casual looking guys that I just thought, oh, shit, we're going to get the crap beaten up out of us. They were doing a conga, chanting ecstasy and smiling <laughs> at everyone. And it's like, what the f- and that's where my real okay something's changing around here went to the bar Ribena or water Ribena or water it's like mental I can't buy alcohol you know it was like great this was yeah I know and that was Mr C and Evil Eddie Richards playing all this Detroit techno it was amazing so so when when did the no sorry that was I was just saying that's where we had torch glasses you know that thing like you're in smoke and you go what the fuck I'm trying to see a little LED like a little thing like that so then a mate of ours like came, you know, oh, I've got these in New York, little plastic cheap things, like six dollars or something. And space Age gifts, isn't it? We, yeah. you know, we found that out. Fourteen. So we used actually. to, I, I used to buy the frames and cut them out and strap mag lights to them, so we can actually see what we were doing. And that's how that all developed from mm. those, because all you need is smoke and strobes, really, and, and some music. So was the were you already before you sort of had your first experiences of rave and ecstasy and so on? Were you? Uh, if you obviously no, I do. Yeah, totally. I love it. Of uh, <laughs> yeah. what? <clears throat> oh, well, that that culture, should we say? Sorry. Were, were, were the two of you already making electronic music? Yeah, elect- yeah. I mean, I, sort of the music had been going on for ages. Quite influenced by uh, that earlier pre-rave. It was influenced by kind of, sort of things like Cabaret Voltaire, Kraftwerk, New Order. Then onto sort of Bobby O and Divine and all that kind of thing, and and then electro. And then house music came along, and we were like, it's electro and high energy mixed together. Nice, excellent, let's have a go. And it just kind of just got into, into the mix of what we were doing naturally. Um, but, you know, I come from, well, we both do from different generations of punk backgrounds, so that's where the kind of commentary comes. So it's just natural. It's like, well, yeah, but house music, it's mm. not saying, it's just not saying anything about the things that we like to say about. So we kind of just bring that in naturally. You don't think about it. You just kind of see a hole. It's like, oh, yeah, that's not happening. Let's do that then. We're an electronic band rather we make a music for the dance floor, do you know what I mean? But obviously, yeah. influence, draw influences from all of our, from us, from what we love and, you know, why but not? It's, you know, we, we did our first gig before Chime came out. We did play Chime at our first yeah. gig. And um, we're actually playing tonight an old track that we played at that first gig that right. we ever did. And we've never played dun, it. Dun, dun. Never played it before <laughs> since. I've never released it or anything. We, we toy with it every now and then. We go, should we get that track one day out and see if we can Thank do something you. with it? And we kind of then always put it back in the box. I think that's what Calvin Harris, Calvin Harris's new project is like. What would Calvin Harris do? It's like yeah, looking. Yeah. It's like going back to rave. It's like right, we're going to dig that yeah, track out there. We're going to like see that. We never released. Hang on. Is that Let's mine? get it out. It's, yeah, that can be yours. Yeah, thank you. Um, so where's the coronavirus included? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> Well, I don't but know, no, it's, it's like, you've put me it's, off now. No, I'm only joking. No, I know, but you might. Well, not I don't be. know who touched it. But <laughs> you know, like, do you know what I mean? I'm not risking it. That's the start of your like, sci-fi movie. High right risk, there, high risk, you know. yeah. high risk. What? But, um, no, but it's, it, we, we just thought, you know, let's drag it out. Let's see if we can do something. We had good, good fun with it at the end of last week and just decided to throw it into the set. And um, it's, so it's, quite, it's kind of interesting after 30 years. We're playing a 30 year old track that was played at our very first gig. So hopefully, this won't be our last gig. But, oh. you know, so nice, you know, it's a nice kind of thing to, to do. It could, to be the last party. it could be the last party, guys. Let's face it, it could be. Well, I'm not, I'm not public gatherings are closed. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, it could be. You yeah. never know. You know, you've got to live each day, living in the now, right? Okay, yeah. Well, <clears throat> let's, let's hope not. 
Let's just get till tomorrow. Yeah, let's just just keep pushing on. Um, <laughs> one was the, my uh, memory is that obviously Chime was a, a huge success, and uh, the first couple of albums too were successful, and, and also in particular this sort of uh, the Brown album and Civilization. You were very quickly um, kind of accepted, I guess, by the rock music press in terms of you you kind of crossed over to more than just kind of ravers. Yeah, well, that was it, yeah, because there was a lot of, because this is where, when we go back to, like, it was called house music, we go, what, what's the, well, because we, we, because of our interest, actually, it, it was, anyway, da, 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 da. I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> I think the, I think, I think, I think what Philip was <laughs> trying to say, he's just got mesmerized by your little cheeky little face. No, I think, I think they, well, see, I mean, mind up. Jesus, oh, I can't take like, the tension. See, it's a lot of energy in this room. That's, yeah. that's actually the second glass I've, I've oh. dropped today. Luckily, that, that's not plugged in. But um, <laughs> yeah. Would you say? Yeah. Would it's you not plugged in. What are you saying? Would you say this is going well? Yeah, yeah. it's going really well. Right. Um, <laughs> hey, do you want this glass of water? No, 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 it's okay. Yeah, no, I'm just gonna, no. just gonna <laughs> remove my phone from the situation. Yeah, so. where, where were we? Oh no, I know. Crossover, crossover, crossover. You know, crossover. Because um, we, sorry, I didn't remember on, what I was going to say I, now. I, I knew what you were going to say. You know, going to house music, all right, and we're going, oh, great. I thought it was great because at the time, the enemy and the melody maker and people like that are traditionally rock and, you know, indie rock sort of people. They're going, uh, disco music, bloody disco music, and all this sort of thing. And we're going, it's a little bit deeper than that if you want, if you want it to be deeper, you know, sort of like it's all to do with, it's like the prog rockness of the, of the instrumental world, which has got very similar in prog rock. Uh, electronic prog rock, in, you know, in, you know, in, indies or uh, rock, rock and roll sort of thing. So I just think it's because we had riffs and we stuck in some guitars and you know, like a few, you know. Yeah, but it's not just guitars. Attitude. You look at tracks like attitude. Impact and things like that, or even Lush. It's got kind of really obvious riffs that go round, but quite harmonic and melodic. And it's kind of you can stand in a field, hear it for the first time, and go, oh yeah, right, I get that. And it's just it's like listening to, you know. You know, when you hear a good rock band like Queens of the Stone Age, and you might not know the record, but they kind of start, and you go, oh, yeah, that's great. I love yeah, that. Yeah, but that's what, you know, it, it, I mean, would you, would you say that there is, I mean, how would you describe the kind of orbital sound? I mean, I could say, okay, listening to your catalogue, there are, you know, strong lead lines, sort of melodies, big riffs, you know, there's a kind of filmic sci fi thing going on, soundtracks, the grooves you know, the political and social commentary, you know, that all comes together, that's the orbital sound. How would you define the orbital sound? It's pretty, I just, pretty, pretty. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I don't know. You don't, you it's not the worst uh, possible uh, question to ask Yeah, yeah, I, I would say, the words harmonic content come to my mind. That If there isn't that, I'm not happy, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But... You know, it, it could be inharmonic as well. Some tracks that we do, it is, it, but it is, there's something, even if it's a rising kind of motif or something like that, it's just kind of, if it fills you with emotion, it's got to be emotive for me, yeah. one way or another, even if that emotion is the sort of crazy emotion you get from listening to bands like the Cardiacs, you know, which is like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, but it's got to have, so it's, it's got to leave you feeling not emotionally neutral, do you know what I mean? If you listen yeah. to the song and it's like, don't feel any different. You've got to, 
It's got, you've got to try and affect change with the music, I think. But it affects you emotionally, I suppose. That's yeah. what we look for. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, or a groove, a really good yeah. thing. Whether well, that makes you jump up and down or the cry or up laugh mode. or whatever. You know, could <laughs> be any of those chair. things. But apart from that, the gloves are off. Do what you like, you know. So was there a, a kind of a, a moment, obviously we're now here at a point where we can talk about 30 years of Orbital. So was, was there a moment when the two of you kind of went, not we've made it, but okay, something's happening here, something special is happening. Chime, really, to be fair. We got sort of fired out of the sort of, like, it, it felt like sort of being fired out of a, a human cannon, do you know what I mean? Like, sort of throughout the 90s, it's just like, Chime happened, and it happened really quickly, and then there were six record companies trying to buy it while I was still washing dishes in a pizza restaurant. And then, and then I had to change the rotor in that pizza restaurant to go on top of the pops. How crazy is it? You know, it's like yeah, yeah. saying to Karen, I've got, sorry, I can't yeah. come in on Wednesday. And she said, well, you know what it's like, you can't change the rotor once it's done. I said, no, I can't come in, I've got to go and do top of the pops. And she just screamed, grabbed hold of my face, went, ah, you know, I'll do it, I'll bloody do it, you know, whatever. And it was just crazy, you know. I didn't go back in the end. You know, it's... Um, um, there have been, there've been a few other moments along the way, though, that, that kind of in hindsight seem significant. So Glastonbury 94, mm. I think. Yeah, think side we, effect we, of that. That was a crossover thing. That helped. Because everybody went gagging for it. And, and Michael even said we were a little bit stuck in the rock and roll sort of mm. thing. Or just, just didn't understand. Or just didn't, I don't know, whatever. You know, they, they had people like the Orb and the Shaman, which, uh, you know, but, but people were just like, oh, well, the electronic sound was going off in little woods and little parties afterwards and things and bits and bobs. And that, you know, if you knew all those places, but on a big stage, we just came on, at, you know, sort of through the back door sign and after Bjork, I mean, you got a load of Bjork people there. It's like, well, I mean, do you know what I mean? It's like really, like, what could we possibly go wrong? We, yeah, is that really? <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying, it's just like, got there, we come on, we didn't know what, well, well we didn't know what we were doing, but we, we were playing an album, actually, that was a tour, that an album hadn't even been out yet, because there'd been a mix-up in, in releasing the album, so nobody, no, not everybody knew us anyway, that, nobody knew it, but we had like... I know, was going to say, you know, normally you do a greatest over. hits for a festival set, we mm. didn't have a greatest hits. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And yeah. also, it's like, even if we did, it's like the first 500 people were our fans. Everyone else was just there. They kind of thought, bit raving. Nice one. But everybody, the whole crowd was just, you know. whole crowd was just went, God, it was just magical. And it was just one of those uh, gazellig, they call it in, uh, in yeah. Dutch, you know. It was one of those moments where, oh, it was just brilliant. And it was just fantastic. And that helped Michael Evis now going, oh, wait a minute, two guys pushing buttons and twiddling knobs and like that. People, that's all right, isn't it? You know, and then the next year, <laughs> The next year they had a big dance tent, and now this year we're supposed to be closing the whole dance field, which was from us it helped the side was supposed to be. Yeah, apparently, you know, it's all right. Why didn't you know that? Fuck you guys! No, come on, you, just, you used to be so much sharper than that. <laughs> we, we were until he blew the announcement on them. But... Well, I did. No, I was I'm not sure supposed to say that. Well, nobody told me. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you're not supposed to say it or not. But no, well, this is this is now the said it, It's got. To this happen. is the plan. We played on. We played on. It's been fantastic. We've had brilliant things. We've done wonderful things, you know, like over the years. It's just like, Jesus, like, another one was uh, the Paralympics, opening up the Paralympics and making mm. Stephen Hawking sing. They gave us his speech <laughs> and we've recoded him and he's only got the torch glasses on for him. He's such a laugh. He was such a laugh. He was such an uh, amazing, you know, he's taken his torch glasses, he's put his torch glasses, he can't see a thing because his glasses are like that thick, you know. So he's coming on sitting there like with uh, the world hydron collider, you know, you know, doing that. <laughs> and we're like, we're like Paralympics, like, 
We've got an honorary member of Orbital for that night. And it's just like, it don't get much better than we that. We go for all the science. Like, Jesus, no, that's not what I'm saying. It's an element, you know. So, so are there any, any other... Um, Mix it, are, are sort of honorary members of Orbital that you... you know, is there anybody out there that you would make a, an honorary member if you could? Or, I mean, obviously, you've, you've worked with quite Madonna. a few... Straight away, Justin Timblatt, I'll go for them too. Straight um, away. Kate Bush. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd have Kate Bush in, on the team any day. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would have had Scott Walker. <laughs> yeah. You know. And you, again. Well, you, you know, we've sampled him. Yes. <laughs> but there's loads of, pe- loads of people I'd have. Yeah. One of the things I've finds uh, in well not maybe not in, well yeah interesting looking at the images of that uh, Glaston performance sort of from behind the stage is just how insanely big your live setup was at that point in terms of all of all of the the equipment I mean how was how has it evolved over the years do you still take the same amount of sequences and drum machines and it's so on the, and so on yeah it's the same amount of stuff it's the mess got smaller Though the stuff, the equipment's got smaller. Whereas we used to have to take all our big old blunderbuss kind of old sort of vintage synths. Well, they, well, they, well, they weren't necessarily vintage back then. Mm. They are now. Yeah. But, um, you know, nowadays you can get like something that's the size of a Jupiter 6 into a box that big. Um, so we take a lot of smaller things. You know, instead of a big old mixing desk, we've got three little, you know, controllers to mix within the computer, which serves as the sequencer now and the sampler you know so that takes away the big racks of samplers mm. but the effect and the freedom is still the same we're still improvised so you have all the bits so you have the bass drum you know hi-hat all individual pits like there's no song mode or anything like that there's no backing track so you haven't got there's no fixed arrangement no i've had so it's like when we want the bass to go boom like that i want the bass tracks. drum and then you can and then yeah. i can override it with the little controllers now it used to be a mixing desk back in the day but you know and so if he puts a bass drum i mean i can take it out over there or if I want. <laughs> I go, no, 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 I don't like that. Oh, no. We have yeah, no. only ever once both taken stuff out at the same time and left silence Nothing. and gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Which, when that happens, you just have to count. <laughs> Three, four. Yeah, because... For example, we've got two, you know, I told you about the oldest track. We've got one of yeah. the newest tracks as well that we're going to play tonight. We just but decided to do this choice. on Wednesday. We just said, should we put a track but this in? This is it. The random, and then yeah. we, we were like, well, that track. And, and well, I'd like to put that track in. Should we, put, see if we can put both of them in then? And so we just did it. And I was kind of messing with it yesterday, sort of, you know, running through permutations and versions yeah. and how you can do it. And at sort of four o'clock, I thought, I think I'm done. I'm done. It's like, that's leaving an hour early than I normally do. And I thought, fuck it, no, that's, that's good enough. I know, but it was good enough. You don't want yeah. to over-egg it, you know what I mean? Because then you sort of fall into a pattern of how you play it. Whereas tonight, I really don't know how those two tracks the, are going to come the out. The arrangement-wise, so I'm going to have to start and just watch the audience go, that's working, that's working, that's not working. <laughs> but how don't do we make that, that work? Switch that great, off, turn it, that on, yeah. do that, you know, and It and helps so you on. develop an arrangement for them recording or even sounds or, you know, yeah, whether this, these tracks trying are things out, so, you know, you're, you're, yeah, trying things I mean, out. So, and I've, have you worked that way a lot over the years in terms yeah, of things always. being performed in, well, live not, before? No, in the olden days, in the olden days we did. Like when you go back to, well, yeah, because, you know, like one of the tracks we're playing tonight, you know, we had... So the first few years, a lot of the, the stuff, a lot of tracks would develop out of playing live where you'd be doing something, you know, some clubs would give you 20 minutes, 
you suddenly get 40 minutes and, you know, you play somewhere like we played for Evil Eddie Richards in Milton Keynes and we were playing and everyone was loving it so much they didn't want us to stop. So it's like, oh, OK, let's grab the drums from that, the bass line from that, that's 303 and this thing's going through the, the filter, you know, OK, let's try that. And you just kind of start jamming stuff and then next gig, you go, that was good, wasn't it? Let's, let's see if we can add something to that. And accent, you kind of do stuff and start building tracks in sound checks and things like that. And then they ended up becoming singles i mean was it at that point was it a much when you were starting out i mean a much smaller um range of kit that you had on on stage yeah yeah for you, sure you know what like a 303 and a um early early on it was we were using a six channel four track as a mixer um 303 303 what are we naming instruments now yeah yeah, yeah. emacs sampler um 909 drum machine, R8 drum machine. DX, we had the DX100. Did, did, did we take that live? I don't know. I can't remember if we, if we used to sample it or take it live. I think we probably, I don't know. And an SH09, of course. Exactly. Um, that was wrong. it. So, and I guess that quickly developed when you got into the doing slightly larger tours when you were sort of headlining your own. The equipment tours. did develop sort of in a creative, natural kind of way. It wasn't we're doing bigger gigs, we better get more gear. You yeah, know? Although, but you could take more of the studio. We're, so, we're I mean, setting yeah, the studio you, you up could, on stage. Though, to yes. be fair, the first few gigs was literally all of our studio on stage at yeah. the same time. It's just like, how are we going to play live? Well, everything's in the sequencer. So if we take that and all these other bits, we can just jam with what we got. Do you know what I mean? So you literally had to take the whole thing yeah. with you, didn't you? Got you got to remember, when, you got, when you're sending the MIDI sequence to uh, a piece of equipment, you've got all this squiggability about, you know, you've got mm. sound which is like you're doing it and like, oh, you know, and like changing the filters and things, you know, to the actual sound itself, which is the fun part as well, which you can react with the, react with the audience and stuff. You know, it comes out raw the way we do it. It's not all clean and polished, don't forget, you know, so we should... Um... Well, we learned from Tangerine Dream, you know. If I look at Tangerine we... Dream playing live, it all seemed to be about playing with these huge knobs in, you know, in the, you It's know, like an activity sort of... centre, you know, babies, like exactly. bing, 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 like, like that, <laughs> but for grown-ups. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, it, it must have been, I, I know obviously it's all your equipment and all the tunes and sequences that you've made yourself, but it must have still been, you know, when you've, you're surrounded by racks and racks of synths and drum machines, difficult to, to kind of keep track of where everything was. Oh yeah, no, especially when you're I, off your I don't know, it's, it's kind of instinct, you know, you know it. Do you know, I, 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 Sometimes I'd, I'd listen, and when you're sort of towards the end of a track and everything's on, you kind of go, ah, is that playing? I can't tell whether that sounds... Sneak it up on the desk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah, definitely there, yeah. yeah. But, you know, apart from that, I know where everything is. Yeah. I don't, don't normally go to the wrong thing or anything. No, no, I pretty well, much know no, where it is. This, I mean, is there a kind of a... Um, a psychic link between the two of you, I guess, as brothers on stage, just yeah. kind of no, don't talk no much. Much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It seems to work, yeah. so, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah just, know. just a so nod every so often. Yeah. Well, we sort of look at... Yeah, we, we smile when it goes well. The torch guy's so bright, when we look at each other, we go, oh, fuck it, yeah, no, what so you, you doing? can't really look at each other. <laughs> so here we are, 30 years on, it's Orbital 3.0 is your... 3.0. Yeah, 3.0. Version, Orbital freeze. no, version 3 we're on there. Version, you know, we split up, came version back together, three, yeah. split up again, you know. 
So, so what can we expect from that? Obviously, you're, you're touring, aren't you, extensively in 2020? Yep. Gigs, more music. Um, We've got two new tracks in there already. <laughs> yeah, which uh, were, uh, until Wednesday, weren't going to happen. Um, so, you know, I, that might keep happening. I don't we've know. We've got a new Maybe album coming out. By the end of the year, out. it'll be a whole completely different set. I don't we've know. got a new album coming out, but we haven't yep. quite finished writing it We're yet. We're still working on that. Um, and uh, there's other things we can't talk about at the moment. <laughs> legal purposes, uh, yeah, legal reasons, some of which may which or I may could. not have been mentioned today already. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so, just just forget you heard any of that, okay? Um, I mean, what is there? Like, obviously, you've been hugely successful over you know three three decades together, and also solo projects as well. You know, what is there left to tick off your bucket list? Well, I didn't even have a list though in the first place. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like everything for me. It's just like, I, you know, like when Chime, I was saying, I was going to go to London College of Furniture to do a furniture design degree. And I go, I had two kids at the time. I go, well, you know, can I defer it for you? And I went, yeah. Because we had enough money on in advance to like keep us going and support the kids and that for about a year. So I go, right. And then that's been it. We've, you know, we've done so, you know, it's just the fact that we're still doing it. We've come back. I didn't think we were going to get back together really for this version three. And it's like, so I'm on bonus time. So I'm loving it. For me, when I was, from when I was about 13, I decided I wanted to be Rick Wakeman, you know. And have, I, I've never achieved the hair quite, but, you know... Have, have you got the train set in the and, he's got, and there's two of us no, in the band, so this is it. We're soft out. No, Why? no, I mean, I just mean that, that picture yeah. of, of sort of a man surrounded by keyboards yeah, yeah. with, you know, like, playing like that. It's like, wow, look at that. Do you remember that. that album I used to you have? Know? You, you yeah. curled up the foil and Rick Wakeman was all spread See around like saying? a... You, know, you put it like that and he... What's not to love about Rick? Yeah, but... Yeah, I don't know. No, still, I've still got loads that I could tick off on, on my bucket list. Working with Kate Bush. Um, you know, that's one. Um, I haven't got... Two yeah. or three nights sold out the O2. That'd be nice. Um, shit. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so it's as well. Shit. I'm with you on that. No, no, I don't no. really like that. I'll yeah. make our own little festival. I know, I but it would well. definitely be a kind of... A I've got ravers in disguise. I, I, I appreciate your, your concern. You my know. idea is getting on... <laughs> Articulated lorry, right? Ravers in disguise. You can have pambas nappies or something. Well, that'll be it. But when you open it out, you know, the speakers, you've got the stage. And like, do you know what I'm saying? We can do that. I've got a guy that can have a license. Oh, anyway, that's another story. He's talking about <laughs> the Transformers movie. Oh, the Transformers, <laughs> Ravers in disguise, don't you say? It's like we get, oh, yeah, yeah. We get Arcadia come in and do the speakers and we can set up old school. And by the time we've had the rave, by the time anybody gets wind of it, you know, we can go, you know, we had a... That's what they we used to, to say. They used to get shut down. No, still. but Dave knows the places. Right, okay. uh, you know the places. Well, that's true. Uh, Phil is referring to a, a friend of mine, a fellow journalist, who is called Dave, who... Uh, oh, it's Dave, sorry. <laughs> sorry. So, um, you could have got away with that. Yeah, there was a, <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, Phil made a, a kind of unannounced appearance at a, a rave up a mountainside in Wales, which was... Um, which is very memorable. There were about 120 people there, and he he came and uh, got his laptop out and played a kind of a yeah, be rude not to, wouldn't sort it? of Ableton type, type <laughs> set of semi live set of orbital yeah, classics. Yeah. It was yeah, uh, chicken was, shack I, in the chicken shack. Yeah, in, in, in a barn. Yeah, and there were there were there were literally chickens wandering around. They were, weren't they? It was brilliant. It was it was kind it of was like really a good. rave, you know, rave revival, wasn't it? Back yeah, to it was brilliant. 1989 or something. So yeah, it was God, pretty special. Give me trouble. So, that, so there yeah, you go. it was. Yeah. So live show tonight. Um, you've always always sort of already mentioned uh, a bit about that um, in terms of maybe 
playing some things that people haven't heard before. Uh, do you tend to like going and revisiting parts of the discography that maybe, I know obviously there's an expectation now, I guess, of a certain amount of greatest hits when people come yeah, to see yeah. your life, but do you like going and exploring kind of album tracks or B-sides or things that people haven't maybe heard in a live set oh, for a totally. while? Oh, totally, but you, you know, you've just got to get a balance, and that's a gut feeling, on overindulging your own kind of crate digging for your, of your, your past and giving people the tracks that they want to hear. Do you know what I mean? You know, I know there's at least two people in the audience who want to hear Remind tonight, but they're not going to hear it. Do you know what I mean? But, but we know as well that we will bring that one back because that's always been a kind of firm live favourite. Whereas, you know, there's some old obscure tracks that I often think, oh, God, it'd be great to do a new version of that. But, you know, you just have to find the space in the set. I guess when you're making a set, you'll go one day... Yep, that's where I'm going to play, say, Deeper or something, the B-side of yeah. Chime. You might go, yeah, I'm going to play that there. But it'll fit. It'll be the right time, yeah. you know. The other question, I guess, that, that, that comes out of that is also sort of how do you... Some artists that have long careers don't always necessarily find it easy to keep themselves motivated. So what keeps the two of you sort of motivated and wanting to create new Keep music. Keep splitting and up and joining together. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a helps. new band. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like the enthusiasm with the music, really. I think, I yeah, I think if, if you get bored, you just have to change it up, don't you? Like, we both went in and said, oh, you know, so it's saying, you know, we're doing the same set. You know, track so, a yeah, day. We're going to mix it oh, yeah. up. I'm going to change things around a bit. But it's like, what can we do? Like, Let's chuck a couple of new tracks in. And all of a sudden you go, bing, and it, it will just change the way you play mm. the set because it's changed the dynamic. Do you know what I mean? And... So that's how, you, you know, you keep it interesting, you know, so we, we did a run of five nights on the trot in Australia with very little sleep in between. And the, the last one was, you know, you're sort of knackered, but you're kind of wired as well. And I just thought, I've got to change this up now, mm. you know, got to do something. And it's great fun. You just kind of think, I'm not going to, that's what I normally do. I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to do this. I'm going to break it down to the baseline and then see what happens. You know, it's, it's, you just, that's the thing. Because we're improvising, we can, we can do that. We can make it interesting. Whereas, you know, it, it might on, become boring otherwise to yeah, play the, it the same way. On the tour, because you're doing almost not, you know, necessarily one day after the other, whatever, but you're doing a string of... So you, you get into a, a different cycling rather than doing festivals like every other weekend or whatever. Yeah. So you do, don't you? Because you're mm. doing it and doing it and things do develop. I think Chinese do. whisper. Yeah. Out of control. Yeah, I, I feel a little bit like parts of today's talk spiral out of control, but um, uh, I think we think we well, got there in That's just you, Phil, yeah. Um, but uh, don't, don't ever change. Wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, no, high risk. So there you go. So uh, I think we're going to have to wrap it up, I think, now, because we've got there's another talk coming on very shortly. So could you put your hands together for Paul and Phil Hartnell? Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. What do we do now? What do we do now? We've got the tea lady come round. Sneak out the side, so yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much. Oh.